Aloha, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our Undoing Radio. I'm Jeremy Vaney, and I am slapping together this season, which is a bit of a potpourri, as I think about it now. I guess if I if it has any theme, it's potpourri for a thousand, Alex. Oh, wait. He's no longer with us. Does Jeopardy go on without Alex Trebek? What happens? I haven't been following. I guess real Jeopardy started happening in the world, right? Uh, I don't know. Neither here nor there. Point is, potpourri. And um, I'd been wanting to follow up on my season closer from season five, the last season, uh, on Kundalini. I have a little bit more to say about it, a few more thoughts. Chiefly, that could be time for me to stop talking about uh, Kundalini. Or at least, you know, stop calling what I am experiencing, that universal energy, uh, stop calling it Kundalini. Maybe call it the unnameable energy. I don't know. Maybe not call it at all. (laughs) Maybe it's time to stop talking about it, and I shouldn't do this episode. But I'm thinking it's time to start referring to Kundalini as an unnameable energy because the word Kundalini... It really does carry too much baggage now, right? Not just the cultural baggage from the place of its origin, which I don't understand because I'm not from there, but also the new American baggage. The culture I grew up in. The YouTube baggage of wanting to be seen on TV when you can't be a TV star. Star energy, in other words. Maybe I should call it that. TV star energy. No, I'm kidding. I mean, we just think that we know too much about it. Uh, There are too many assumptions, so many assumptions from people on the YouTubes who say what they're going through is Kundalini. And from what I'm hearing, I'm not hearing it. I mean, I think I mentioned this in a previous episode on Kundalini, but, uh, you know, a lot of what people talk about are seven signs, eight signs, five signs, ten signs that you've had a Kundalini awakening, that what you're experiencing is a Kundalini awakening. And these are things that could be brought on or could go hand in hand with Kundalini or could not. I mean, there are people who have claims to psychic abilities who don't have claims to a Kundalini awakening. And yet um, Kundalini can awaken, you know, it awakens whatever is dormant. So if you have these psychic capacities that are dormant in you, you can open those up, but just having those open up isn't a sign of Kundalini, you see? Um, and a lot of these signs that they give are in sort of a horror movie context. It's always like a Kundalini emergency, my Kundalini horror story, or whatever. And the fact is, there's no such thing as a Kundalini emergency. I think that uh, when you hear that there's that the Kundalini awakenings cause certain symptoms, then you experience one or more of these and assume you're having a Kundalini awakening, then you might want to go on YouTube yourself, right? And talk about what may happen to you when Kundalini uh, awakens based on your non-Kundalini experiences and what you've heard but not experienced firsthand. It's like you want to sort of... It's tempting to blur these two things together. I've had an experience that someone told me is Kundalini related, which may or may not be, but I edit that part out. It is Kundalini awakening. And um, I've heard about all these other sorts of things that sort of verify what I'm going through, so it must be 
So now I'm going to go on and I'm going to talk about them publicly as though I know what I'm talking about. And uh, that's how a modern day master is born, right? Now you're a spiritual master on YouTube. But even the good stuff is often wrong. Like, for instance, living in a bliss state doesn't come from kundalini. That comes from emptiness. It can come as a state of mind that exists when you give up, when you honestly don't know anything, cannot find an answer. And it can come when you shed the brain self by peeling away the layers of your own psychology, which brings you back to your natural, healthy state of mind in heart. But it's only in the absence of the separate self that interconnection is the conscious case, is your conscious sense of being. When it isn't ruined by a system, it is pure joy. The joy of living. Which, again, is not brought on by Kundalini. Kundalini coming alive when I go silence. Not silent, but silence. For a timeless moment is something coming from nothing. More precisely, it is consciousness coming alive through something, namely this body, from nothingness. This is proper flow. This isn't an emergency. Blah, blah words, am I right? I mean, I guess it's just enough to know that uh, Kundalini has a lot of baggage and a lot of misconceptions. And so maybe when I talk about Kundalini, um, I'm not actually talking about what's in your head when you hear that word. For instance, it is said and assumed true that Kundalini sits coiled at the base of the spine, waiting to be activated or spontaneously activating itself, right? And then it, like, causes havoc for some people. And then spiritual upgrades for other people. But, um, and I think that's actually, you know, again, I don't want to speak out of turn about cultures I don't know, but I think that's probably was the original understanding of Kundalini. It's, it's, you know, coil at the spine. But I, I put it to you. How can an energy that pervades the physical be sitting in the body? Isn't that just an illusion of mechanics for a mechanical mind? Isn't that the necessary illusion of dualism, of separate operational systems, separate objects even, uh, when we're viewing them through that lens, but which are really just uh, oneness, which are really one flow being misperceived or being perceived, you know, through the physical. The fact is, when you're active, Kundalini is not active. So if Kundalini is alive in you, stop reacting to it. Here endeth the emergency, right? I mean, maybe that is the cause of so many a would-be social media guru's woes. They're treating that which transcends and includes them as an other invading them or happening to them an unwanted visitor or a malfunctioning system within the body. But what happens when you stop reacting? Have you tried that? I guess, you know, like if there is an emergency, the emergency is that you're still there in the way of the flow. But the flow is happening. The flow isn't you, the, uh, the persona of the brain body, and so you, as persona of brain body, want to remain in control, and so you treat it like another, like an outsider, like an invasion. As I said, 
you know, if you get rid of the word Kundalini and you're just having other things, they're physiological, maybe psychic uh, events in the body, which may have prosaic explanations, may not. Emotional issues that you are assuming is Kundalini related, that may not. Um, either way, you know, one of the reactions that we have to Kundalini, to these other things, is naming it. And when you look, you see similarities in Kundalini literature to a lot of the events in the body and the psyche. Um, because as I said before, Kundalini activates and utilizes that which needs to be exercised within you or within the body. But, um, but the point is those events could happen another way. There are people doing yoga and martial arts and meditating and so forth who aren't Kundalini alive. And there are basic physiological reasons for phantom pains, feel-good moments with no cause, auditory and visual hallucinations, on and on, that again have nothing to do with this, perhaps we should call it unnameable energy. So if you want all of that to be kundalini, just so that you can name your problem and have that name sound more exotic than what your physician might diagnose you with, then it's definitely time to call this, yeah, the unnameable energy. And that actually, what I just said right then and there, is the heart of the matter for many of you. You want to have an exotic spiritual energy manifesting in you, for good or ill, because it makes you special. You get to identify as someone special. That is the reaction you are having to whatever is going on with you be it kundalini or not. I mean, just be honest with yourself. Even those of you who say, I'm not special. Well, if you're not special, why is this the first way that you put the pieces of your inner puzzle together? Are you willing to let that reaction go? Are you willing to disidentify as the special one? Are you able to stop feeling special? Probably not, because the reason you adopted that posture in the first place was to pave over whatever hurt is really you beneath it. Who is that person you're pretending not to be? And is this pretending causing you physical pain because you refuse to deal with the psychological pain? Are you willing to look at this? Or have you turned this off already? I mean, if you find this offensive... Perhaps it clashes with your self-identity. But it shouldn't. There's not a judgment here. Right? There's just calling it what it is. You know, in a sense, maybe this season isn't such a potpourri after all, because it really... Uh, you can see it in the light of violence, in the, in the context of the violence that we do to ourselves, and therefore the world. Um, pretty much everything that we do that is ours that is of our own so-called free will, that is not from within the flow of truth, is a, an act of violence, is a form of violence. I mean, that which is unhealthy within us comes out as unhealthy in the world. And this is the world we create. When we say we create our own reality, we don't want to mean that. <laughs> but that is the, that's the case. And um, so it goes with this this kundalini business, this wanting to be special business, but also um, just wanting to find a little bit of peace, a little bit of solace, a little bit of enjoyment in our lives 
as the world crumbles around us. We still want a vacation, right? Um, I did a little uh, ramble share video for members on guided meditation um, because someone close to me is doing guided meditations and I watched one of these guided meditations and it dawns on me that, that the problem extends not just to those who want to be special, but to those who want meditation, not just Kundalini to be uh, something you fight against a horror movie or some love and light fifth density thing, whatever that is. Uh, but also like we pervert everything and we live in that perversion and we call that home. And so it is with meditation. Um, somebody talking you through, you know, uh, under looking at, you know, visualizing parts of your body coming alive and then feeling it coming alive or visualizing some happy place that you go to in your mind and then going there, you know, creating an imaginary sandbox and playing in it. I mean, this, this is just Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like that, that is literally what Dungeons and Dragons is, is you visualize what the dungeon master is telling you when you go on this imaginary shared adventure together. That's not meditation. Meditation is silence. That's noise. But we are noise, right? We're noise, and we, but we don't want to see ourselves that way. We want to see ourselves as noisy people at our worst so that we can have fits of being silent, vacations from the noise, the noise that we create, the noise that's in us. And the reason we do that is because to self-identify as noise means that there is no going silent. No amount of going silent cures that. Silence is the so-called cure for that. But there is no vacation to silence. There is only being silence. You are either noise or you are silence. This is why uh, early on when I used to talk about uh, how we are our thoughts, which is not my own. I didn't come up with that on my own, uh, but it's as if we've never heard it before. But the, the, uh, the fact that you are thought, you are a thought construct who believes, you know, called the thinker who believes you are in charge of these thoughts, that you are thinking as a thinker, that that isn't true, that that is also a thought, that you are thought. You are not separate from your thoughts, and therefore no amount of silencing your thoughts uh, to bring you to this happy place through a guided meditation, say, or through your own meditation, um, is fully transformative. And people used to argue with me about that. No, you aren't your thought, because there are all these schools of thought, right, that say you're not, that say if you just let the thoughts float by in your mind's eye as you're trying to be silent, you know, eventually it'll get easier. (laughs) eventually you'll uh, be able to block them out better or something. Um, But that's all a game. That's all you. You are the one witnessing the thoughts. You are the one blocking them out. And you are those thoughts. You are brain activity. And... That's not a final answer in terms of like, well, the neurologists have it right, and I guess we're all just meat. That is posing the real question, is there anything beyond that? 
Is there anything beyond you, beyond the brain projection? Um, but it's hard for us to see it that way because, again, that brain projection is you. And so you want to live. You, want, you don't want to see what's, well, you want to see what's beyond you so you can incorporate it into you. You don't want to be that which is, you know, so-called beyond that which is naturally you that transcends and includes the brain person. Um, you want to be that transcendent and including entity. And ironically, we all are. <laughs> it's just, it just ain't this separate dualistic self that we wish, you know, was in control. And that is actually uh, rubbing against the grain of nature to the extent that we are going to kill ourselves off before we ever transform. We will do physical suicide before uh, coming to the the clarity through inner understanding that we're the problem, that we're in the way, that we are the blockage blocking out that which we seek. And the thing is, you've heard this all before. You've heard this in a lot in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. And then, like, some something happened in the 90s and the aughts where it, like, turned into life coaching. <laughs> like, there were no more gurus and the such. There were, like, life coaches who'd try to take this uh, and, and turn your transformation into a way to, for you to make money. You know? <laughs> How to be healthier and happier. And by that, we mean wealthier. And by that, we mean I will get wealthy while you toil away trying to take my advice. Um. So, where are we now? I mean, all of this collapses away, and we're left with our own inauthenticity and really nowhere to hide because all the places that we've constructed for ourselves are collapsing. Uh, you know, we're destroying the natural world and um, our unnatural world of systems that exist on paper and in the mind and in, through collective agreement are collapsing. Uh, where is there left for you to run? Your God in the Bible didn't jump off the page and come save you. What now? Your prophecy didn't get fulfilled. What now? Well, now we turn to excuses of why that's not you know, happening and, and then defensive. It's not my fault. And so it's some, it's gotta be a fault of someone's. So you create this other for it to be the fault of, and then, People in politics and advertising uh, see this and use it against you. <laughs> they turn you into little robots arguing about, you know, things that don't exist. Boogeymen and, you know, now you've got to pretend, like in politics, you've got to pretend that you don't know how voting works. You've got to pretend like you don't know the records of certain politicians who've been around forever. Because now they're like crazy lizard people who were communists all along or something. I mean, it's ludicrous. The lengths will go to, to not be aloneness because we're afraid to be alone because we're social creatures. These brain people that we are, these personas that we are, the lie of ourselves can only sustain itself through agreement I mean, you want to know what the base of wars is? What's the basis for all this? Yeah, yeah, economics and oil and all that. But the deep down drive for our violence 
is that if we're not on the same page with our lie, then our lie can't sustain itself, then where are we? Who are we? So we have to constantly convert other people to whatever it is we believe or want to believe. Or we have to give in to being converted by other people. We don't want oneness. We want the spread of an idea. We don't want interconnectivity. We want conformity. We want this because that is what sustains the we we're talking about, the you and the me. And why do we do this? Because it's what we know. It's what we were born into. And we're unconscious of it. Uh, I mean, it doesn't even, you know, for how many of you, honestly, has this even come across your radar as a, a person, as an adult, alive in this world? How have, have you thought this way about you? About the world that we have created and why? I mean, rarely does it cross our radars. And that's by our own unconscious design. <laughs> because otherwise, again, we can't exist. We can't exist in this equation. When we are silence, we're not this noisy defense mechanism, are we? And when we say this silence, um, if we go any further and describe what that silence is and what happens next and all that, even if it's true, that just becomes more noise. It becomes the aha moment of a discovery or something that we can argue against or something we can believe in. It becomes the next step in an unfolding future, right? Like, uh, unless you deny it and then it becomes nothing, it becomes another dead end and you ignore it. But if you believe it, it becomes the next future thing, the next goal for you and for you to move anyone who's listening to you toward. This is what the online guru is about, right? This is what the Kundalini gurus are about, ultimately, is finding collective agreement, creating collective agreement, and being in control of that collective agreement by having been the one to say it out loud in some video. And you could argue that that's exactly what I'm doing. And you might be right. How will you know? So even this can't be your resting stop. Can't be, oh, yeah. No, I could be just as fraudulent and not know it. So don't rely on that. But if what's being spoken here strikes a chord in you as truth, then perhaps contemplate that on your own, through your own understanding. But again, not your own, not, not you. <laughs> You're just going to screw it up. <laughs> See the totality of what's being said here. Not not hone in on the part that says you. You go do this. You take this and run with the ball. No. Like, just... Is it possible to be silence because you understand the ineffectiveness of you in the situation of chasing after silence? of chasing after truth, of chasing after meaning. Or of saying, I already have that meaning. I already know what the truth is. Billions and billions of people on this planet 
So many of us believe we know the truth or a truth or truth is relative. It's my truth and your truth. We think we know all this stuff and yet we're destroying ourselves. Do you get the joke? Something like, what was the statistic I read? 83% of animal species, we've destroyed them on this planet. Plants and animals. Not just animals, plants and animals. That's a, that's a mighty whopping percentage for people who know the truth and have God in their hearts, isn't it? So for how much longer are we even going to be allowed to say to ourselves and anyone who will listen, that's just human nature? And of course, anyone living in nature, we beat them down and kill them off too. So we're not going to ask them. We'll ask them in, insofar as we can steal from them uh, whatever they've explained to us of their spirituality. That we'll, we'll suck them dry of. And then we'll destroy them too. Now, is this a judgment or is this the fact? Is this actually what we've done? I mean, you have to actually look at yourself. You can't just run from it because it hurts. When you run from the truth because it hurts, you end up hurting other people. You end up hurting yourself first, and then you are that hurt. You're not just carrying it around. You are that, and you're exuding it, and you're giving it to other people. You're spreading it. And that's what we are. Now, why we're this way isn't anyone's fault. This is the setup. This is what happens when you're born into a world of separation, and furthermore, born into a world uh, that has disconnected itself from nature um, and decided that what is in our own human heads is enough, is truth, is it, is better than the physical. Because once you've decided that your mental space is better than the physical, well, you've just named two things and you said that this is the physical world. In the physical world, that doesn't sound too alive, does it? It's not the same as saying like Mother Earth or Mother Nature or recognizing gods and deities and things like that. It sounds more like there's just this physical stuff lying around and you're higher than it because you're, you've got this amazing self-awareness that can, if you're lucky, understand mathematics and reason and read books and stuff. And from that, you create this mythical, whichever one you want to choose, world of uh, words from Bibles, from science, from whatever. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's higher because it's not the physical world. Um, so the mistake is, yes, we're going to be born into separation, uh, into dual, duality, dualism. But uh, used to be, there used to be a time when cultures would understand at least the interconnectivity of all, not just as a theory, not just as something to choose, but that is what you're born into. Yeah, you're separate, but you're also born into the interconnecting nature, the uh, love and reverence for all of the perspectives, all of the different perspectives around you, at least that. And then I'm sure some, well, and some probably still do try and understand the oneness underlying all of that and try to birth us into that understanding, into cherishing that. But we pretty much put on shoes, paved over the bumps that are the earth, make everything smooth, gave ourselves beds to sleep in because 
We want comfort. We want vacation. We want to sleep. We just want to be autonomous, really. And that autonomy is its own sleep. And there used to be a day when we'd say, ah, that's fine. Whenever you're ready, you wake up on your own. This life or the next. But that's become an excuse to not ever see you as problem. To never, quote-unquote, wake up. And to destroy the future. I mean, what is next when there is no next left to incarnate into? There was an article about how uh, the Israelis accidentally released tardigrades on the moon through some mishap. So maybe we'll, uh, who knows, maybe we'll reincarnate as tardigrades (laughs) on the moon. Take this crap fest to the moon. And then those tardigrades, they'll develop sentience. They'll develop great consciousness. And then they'll argue over whether the moon is flat. Funny, because it's true.